Welcome to Power of the Cross Radio Sermons. Up next is a two-part sermon session from Brother Lauren Larson. We know this message, titled Love Never Quits, will be a blessing to you. Now, on to the sermon. In 1 Corinthians 13, I want to start in verse 4. It says, Charity suffereth long, and is kind. Charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinks no evil, rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things, but charity never faileth. The idea of the word charity, as most of you you know if you've been a Bible student or a Bible reader for any period of time, is really love. But it's not just the kind of love that we oftentimes associate with relationships. It's agape kind of love. An agape kind of love is something that human beings don't have. Not in and of ourselves. In and of ourselves, we are selfish in our nature It's all about me. It's all about what I can have. It's all about what you can do for me. It's all about me rubbing shoulders with people that can do something for me. Uh, Since the fall of mankind, back in the garden, man lost his sense of God consciousness and became self-conscious. And so everything has been about me. And that drive of self that lives in all of us, every single one of us, I'll have to get you to get rid of those halos you're now wearing, uh, that it involves all of us, is something that needs to change. And the good news is, is that it can change. And I'm not here to beat us up, and I'm not here to condemn us, but I'm here to encourage us that if we understand the processes of God correctly, if we understand what it is that God can do in each of our hearts and each of our lives, that this God kind of love can begin to surface. And oftentimes, as a pastor, as a minister, we'll use these particular passages uh, in premarital counseling and tell the people that are getting married, man, you need to show this kind of love towards the one you're going to commit your life to. And that certainly is right. But the truth is, there's not a person on the planet that's been born again, that's been saved, that shouldn't be practicing a God kind of love, shouldn't be uh, exhibiting a God kind of love. And that's what I want to talk to you today about, because it says here uh, that love never faileth, but if you, it's not the idea of love failing so much as it is love never quits. It never quits. If you have children, parents, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Love never quits. It never stops. And God's love for you never quits. So I want to minister to you this morning the idea and the message of love never quits. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have this morning to move into the Word of God. We pray now that as we open it up, the Word of God would would instill hope and desire in the heart of each individual listening here today. And Father, that we would reach out by faith and receive what we have need of to accomplish the task at hand, to love like you love. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus, and we give you all the praise and glory, and everybody said amen and amen. 
The Bible doesn't say it in particular, but historians tell us that John, who was the last apostle, the final apostle to live after the time of Christ Jesus, uh, the one that Jesus loved, he always described himself that way, that laid his head down on the chest of Jesus during the Last Supper. He was a pastor in Ephesus, even exiled for a period of time uh, in Ephesus uh, and in the area of Patmos. Uh, He was the one that received revelation. He was the one that saw the book of Revelation. He was the one that uh, began to detail what's going to happen in the future for all humanity. But it's said by historians that as his ministry began to close down in the age uh, which he began to become closer to death, he began to say something over and over and over again to the converts that he was training. And he would say this, My little children love one another. My little children love one another. What we find is that a maturing apostle, a maturing disciple, has narrowed down their view of relationship with God in the sense of the subject of love. Another great man in the, in the faith, John Wesley, and uh, while you realize it, maybe some of you do, maybe you don't, but the church of God was actually founded uh, under the precepts and concepts taught by John Wesley, and his was a drive for holiness and a drive for sanctification. But Wesley taught and said, especially as he grew older, that the evidence of a sanctified life wasn't necessarily a dress code or what we did or what we didn't do, even though those are a part of what holiness and right living exhibit. He would say that the greatest evidence of a sanctified life is a God kind of love for one another and for the people that we know and the people that we interact with. And so we're challenged when we begin to grow and when we begin to mature to become what God says we are to become. Now, in Jesus' ministry at its very beginning, I'm going to quote to you things you've already heard and things you already know, but when I put you in remembrance of them, that's a good thing. Uh, And what Jesus said was, here's the most important two things in the world. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. Love God with everything that's within you. And I challenge you to inspect your own heart and your own life this morning. Is that really what drives you? I can tell you, as I said earlier in the weekend, I'm about to start my 39th year of living for Jesus. And when he brought me out of the drugs and the alcohol and the lifestyle I was living, it was easy to love him. It was easy to embrace him because I was so desperate to be changed. I was so desperate to leave behind that life for another life. And so loving God was easy. But I got to tell you, down through the years, Honestly, it's gotten easier because of all the things that God has done. And I find myself ever driven uh, by a love for God to become what He wants me to become. Now, there's always that portion in our Christendom uh, where we kind of take a look at God and say, okay, what can you do for me? Amen. And we kind of focus on that a lot. But what I'm finding is that despite my spoiled child syndrome, God still loves me. God is still working on me. And it just, you know, we love him because he 
first loved us. And that response is uh, ever-growing. I love him more today than ever, and I see the vastness of his capability, and I've watched as he's blessed and touched my family, my children, our lives. And so I continue to drive and strive for that first great thought that I'm to love God with all of my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength. And then comes the second commandment, and this is what Jesus said. He said, in this thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So what Jesus teaches us and what the Bible teaches us is that there's really no doubt about the fact that you love yourself. There's really no doubt about it. We love ourselves, and again, that goes back to the selfishness of ourselves. And again, I'm not picking on us, I'm just being honest. And so if we're going to fix something that's out of whack, we got to look at it and say, you know what, I recognize that about me, and I want to see that fixed. Uh, One of the things that then Jesus went on to teach and preach and exhibit was this great love for people. And on the night before he was crucified, he said this to his disciples, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now that puts a, a different spin on the kind of love that we're supposed to exhibit towards everyone else in the body of Christ. As I have loved you, has Jesus loved you? What has he done to exhibit his love for you? How has he proven that over the course of the time that you've known him? How has he loved you? I want you to think about it just a minute. He accepts us, and we talked about it last night. He, we accepted in the beloved, we're adopted, all spiritual blessings become ours. We're a part of the family. We have a past that's forgiven and a future that's secure, and he's loved us. Every time I've flubbed up, every time I fell short, it was his love that would always drive me back and, and cause me to look to him and ask him to forgive me and step back into the role of being his servant and getting to know him better better and better and better, because his love never quit. I said, his love never quit. I said, his love never quit. And then he comes along and he says on the night before he's crucified, which was the greatest act of love for someone else that could ever be committed. Uh, I'm jumping out of that for a second, and I'll tell you this. He said, no greater love hath this than a man lay down his life for his friends, and you are my friends. And so uh, what Jesus said, I want you to love everyone around you in the same manner with the same intensity, with the same strength as I have loved you. Now, start evaluating your relationships based on that kind of love. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And then he said this to his church. He said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. This is the evidence. Now, we're classic Pentecostals here for the most part, and maybe that's not where your group is or where you were born or into, but here I know pastor is a classic Pentecostal, which means we believe in a second subsequent work. Now, the first primary work is salvation, and in that there can be change, there can be deliverance, there can be learning, there can be growing. Being saved is the most important thing in the world. But we also believe that a man or woman, boy or girl, could be immersed into the power of the Holy Spirit for service. And when that happens, we teach and preach that you come through with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. But 
having said that, I just want to qualify that Jesus didn't say that the evidence of being a mature believer is speaking in other tongues. Come on, Pentecostals. Give me some shout up in here. The whole process of becoming a mature believer, no matter what you put on the label, is that there is a love of God that's being birthed in you that is now being exhibited in a supernatural way towards the people that you encounter in your life. And your neighbor, remember the example of the neighbor we're supposed to love was the story of the Good Samaritan. Do you remember that story? How this man was actually hurt uh, coming down from Jerusalem, and the priest went by him, and the Levite went by him, the religious people went by him, and then a Samaritan went by him. Now, that word means absolutely nothing to us today, but in that day and age, when Jesus told the story, the Samaritans were people that the Jews hated. They, they were half-breeds. They were half-Jew and half some other portion of another country. And so the Jews would actually go three days out of their way so they didn't have to travel straight through Samaria on the way from Jerusalem up to Nazareth. They go three days out of their way just to miss Samaria. They hated the Samaritans. And Jesus talks about a good... Samaritan. And so he's rubbing it in two ways. The Samaritan comes by and finds this person and that was a Jew that hated him and takes him up, puts him in the place where his wounds are binding, being bound up and places him in a place where he can be cared for and says, if I owe, if he needs more, give it to him and I'll pay you when I come back through. That was the Samaritan. That was the story of the neighbor. So whoever it is that hates you the most, that's the one you have to be kind I am preaching as best I can. This is the kind of love that God is asking us. No, he's commanding us to exhibit. Now, the problem is this, and, and that's the command of love, but let's talk about the formation of love. This kind of love, this agape kind of love, is called a fruit of the Spirit, which means that you can't, provo- you can't produce it. It has to be produced by the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit, the byproduct of having the Spirit work in you, the byproduct of the evidence of the Spirit being able to conform you into the nature and character of Christ is love, and there's that agape love kind of love again, Agape love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. All the fruit of the Spirit is having to be birthed and grown by the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, we've said this before. I'm going to say it again. We are, as born-again people, the recipient of the Holy Spirit. The moment you say yes to Jesus... The moment you accept Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit immerses you, baptizes you into the person of Christ. And it's in that union with Christ where you are freed from the penalty of your sin. All sins, past, present, and future, have been resolved in the mind of God. And, and I won't go into that deeper at this point. 
But as well, the power of sin is broken. You are regenerated, which means you are recreated. Your soul is recreated to a degree that you start to love God. You didn't love God before you were born again. You were probably afraid of Him. Or you didn't like what you saw when you looked at other believers. But when you accepted Christ as Savior, He regenerated your soul, which affected how you felt about the things of God. Instead of running away from church, you started running to church. Instead of failing to ever read the Bible, you began to run to the Bible. That was a result of a supernatural work in your soul. But in your spirit, you were born again as well. And that was the part of you that starts to be Begin to receive information, and it began to teach you about the things of God. And the Spirit of God moves inside of you and begins to affect your emotions, your mind, your will. He begins to reveal to you the things that are not of the nature and character of God, and He begins to actually show you what needs to be changed. And when we step into the provisions of God, in other words, we step into the program of God and willingly submit to it, the Holy Spirit is now able to work in us and produce for us and exhibit through us what we can't ourselves. Are you following this? This Christianity is supernatural. It's, it really is a supernatural relationship with God. Now, don't get worried. I'm not talking about a spooky ooh type of thing. I'm talking about a real power living on the inside of us that affects us consistently. But the problem is that growth is not automatic. So when we want to talk about not just the command of love, but the formation of love, we have to understand how God works to develop that in us. In this class or in this church, I can tell you consistently, you are hearing about the message of the cross. The message of the cross is the message of faith and grace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 and the first part of verse 10 is probably something I quote more often than any other verse in the Bible because it tells us the process, how God works. And it says this very simply, for by grace are you saved through the agency of faith. Now let's break that down. For by grace, something you don't deserve, something you don't earn, something you can't labor for, something that is freely given, for by grace are you saved. It comes from the Greek word sozo, which means to be healed, protected, delivered, made whole. So by the moving and operation of God's Spirit, one aspect of His grace, you are healed, you are protected, you are delivered, you're made whole. Well, then how come I don't have that kind of love that you're talking about this morning, Brother Larson? Well, that's where you need to take a good look at your part of the program. It's And that's where, for by grace are you saved through faith. All right, good. So faith is my part. I've watched uh, the, uh, I'm not a great sports fan, but I like watching some. And, and every now and then I see on the sports programs a, a, a little ditty that they do called, Man, You Had One Job. And it's about a guy in the sports activity, whatever it was. He, maybe he's a punt returner. 
And his one job is to catch the ball and run when they punt the football to him. And he's supposed to catch it. That's his only job. Catch the ball. And they'll show a clip of the weekend where one guy got back there to catch the ball and he, and he gets it right here in his chest. He just woofs it, just waffles it right through and the other team gets it. They'll say, dude, you had one job. Or it's just silly stuff that they'll show and then they'll say, you had one job. Church, you got one job. I said, you got one job. And you don't want to fumble this ball and you don't want to make a mistake in this. Your responsibility is the responsibility of faith. Faith means simply to make a choice to believe. In this church, what I know is that you're constantly hearing about keeping your faith in the cross. You're not putting your faith in a cross-like figure. You're putting your faith in what Jesus accomplished for you at Calvary. What you couldn't do for yourself, God did for you in Christ. And so when you need the Holy Spirit to build in you, to do something in you that you can't do, you exhibit faith in what Christ did, and you say, you know what, Lord? I can't change myself. You can help. That's really the message of the cross in six words. Lord, I can't. You can help. Dear listeners of Power of the Cross Radio, we're reaching out to you today with a heartfelt request that can make a world of difference. Our mission to spread hope, faith, and inspiration relies on your generous support. For years, Power of the Cross Radio has been a guiding light, bringing you messages of love, healing, and spiritual growth. But to continue touching lives, we need your help. Your contributions enable us to produce quality content, reach wider audiences, and keep the message of faith alive. Every dollar you offer is an investment in nurturing souls and fostering a community of believers. Join hands with us today. Your offering, whether big or small, holds the power to transform lives. Together, we can ensure that the light of power of the Cross Radio continues to shine brightly. Visit our website at www.cross.radio to make your secure donation. Remember, it's not just a financial contribution, it's a step towards spreading love, hope, and the message of the Cross to those who need it most. Thank you for being a part of this incredible journey. Your support fuels our mission, and together, we can make a profound impact. Now, back to the message. That's So faith has to be exhibited in Christ. Listen, faith has to be exhibited in Christ, not in you, not how you try to force your will or make yourself do something. Your faith has to rest in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. Why do we say the cross all the time? Because the cross was the event in history that afforded everything that God wanted to bring to you through the completed work of Christ. So I'm not trying to glorify a wooden beam. I'm trying to get you to see the expression of love that Jesus gave towards you and say, you know what? I believe in his, even if you don't understand all the things about the cross, we've been preaching it 27 years down in Baton Rouge, and I'm still learning of the benefits of the cross. You'll never exhaust them. You'll never go deep enough. You'll never go so high that you'll actually realize all that it could be and all that it does. So your faith, has to rest. I'm going to simplify it now. Don't get mad at me if I don't say the cross every time. If I just say Jesus, you're going to have to know that I'm connecting Jesus with the cross. I hope you're mature enough to go there. 
When I say place your faith in Jesus, it means you're placing your faith in who he is and what he has done. Your job, you got one job, is to keep your faith in Jesus as the sole source and the author and the finisher of your faith. And if you'll trust him, and if you'll depend upon him for all things, God's grace, the moving and the operation of the Holy Spirit, will do in you and for you what you could never do for yourself. God is waiting for you to be humble and dependent and reliant upon him. So faith is our one job. You got one job, dude, one job, do this, one job, one. And that's to keep your faith centered in Jesus. Amen. And if you want to know how the formation of love happens, it's by grace through faith. And you become his workmanship. God then does the work in you. Another verse that proclaims this is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12 and 13. Listen to this. And the Lord make you to increase and abound. Listen, increase, bring more into your life than is presently, and abound, overflow. The Lord make you to increase and abound, Paul would write, in love one toward another and toward all men. Increase and abound. Bring it up a higher level. Bring it up another notch and let the cup overflow as well. In what? In love toward each other in this church and everyone else you come in contact with. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples by your love one for another. Jesus didn't say, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples because you say, I preach the message of the cross. He said that the litmus test is loving one another, loving God, and loving those that are around you. So if you really understand what we've been trying to bring faithfully to the body of Christ for the last 27 years, the evidence isn't in the number of times you can say the cross in a message, or the number of times you say cross in your bulletin, or the number of times you print cross in your papers. It's the very grace of God forming you into something that you weren't before. The Lord caused you to abound and increase in love one toward another and toward all men. Now, again, in 1 Thessalonians, he adds to this. Watch. He says, 1 Thessalonians three twelve and 13, uh, in love one toward another and toward all men. Verse 13, watch. To the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness. You want to live a holy life? Faith and grace. You want to love someone more? You want to increase and abound in agape kind of love towards your family, towards the unlovable? You know, you've got unlovable people in your life. Maybe you work with them. Maybe you live with them, you know. Um, maybe you go to school with them. You want to get them up on a high mountain and push them off a cliff and tell God they slipped. 
But what we got to do is get such a feeling of for other people in us that we'd jump off the cliff for someone else if it meant saving their life. But the same process that causes this supernatural love, our subject today, to be formed in us is also the route by which true holiness is achieved. Holiness isn't a dress code. Holiness is you making decision after decision after decision in your life that I'm not going to be that way. I'm not going to look like that. I'm not going to act like that. Not because I have a rule book or not because I think someone will see me doing it or won't see me doing it. Because I know the Lord sees me doing it. I'm not going to talk like that, walk like that, say that because I love Him. And I just know that that action and that attitude, that idea is not something that would please Him. And out of that comes holiness. Out of that comes decisions not to curse and not to drink and not to smoke and not to be jealous and not be envious and not to have anger and malice towards other people. Out of that is how holiness is really exhibited. And yeah, I think there's something to be said about what we wear and there's something to be said about what we do and where we go and how we speak. But true holiness is stemming from the heart. So what we find is the same process of faith and grace, the same faith in Christ and what He did for us at the cross. It gives us grace to transform us into a loving human being, loving others and loving God. Is the same grace that will provide us with the means and the power to live holy before God, to make choices that are pleasing to Him about what we watch, where we go, what we do. You, you, You get me? So the formation of love has to be through faith and grace. We're commanded to love, therefore we need to understand the formation of love. And now, here's our test today before I close, as I finish up in the next 10 minutes or so. And that's our text. If you want to find out how well you're doing, then we should go through this text and find out what kind of love, agape love really is. Now, as I go through the definitions that, of the words and the clauses that we read, I, I don't want you to think first of all about your expression of love. As I read these, I want you to think how true God's expressions of this kind of love have been towards you. In other words, you've already received, many of you, all of us, if we're born again, if we're saved, we've already received this examples of love from God towards us. In other words, you've been the recipient from God. So think about that. It'll cause great joy in your heart. It should cause a great confidence today as you go out of here and go into your life. When you finally see and understand how faithfully God is exhibiting His love towards you. Because you're born again. Because you are a believer because you have accepted Christ. Then secondly, as we study what these terms mean, think about how well you express this kind of love that we're describing to your family, your friends, your co-workers, or even strangers. Think about that secondly. First of all, look at it and say, ah, that's how God loves me. 
then take a look at yourself. Because I'm not here to step on toes and, and, and beat you up. I want you to understand what the value of receiving love is because you've received it. And then I want you to think about where you need to grow. And thirdly, I don't want to allow condemnation today as we go through this because the devil will come along and beat you up and discourage you a lot when we start to cover this because you'll see how far below God kind of love we really are. At least that's what I get when I read this. And I didn't come to beat us up. So think about God's expression of love towards you. Consider where you need improvement, but don't allow condemnation. Instead, embrace dedication to become what you need to become if you're lacking in any of these definitions of of love, if you're lacking in it through grace and faith. Because when you find out what you're not, you as a believer can go to God and say, that's what I want to become. And God's great love for you desires that for you. And when your faith reaches out and asks God to help you become what He wants you to become, it's a done deal. Now, you might have to learn some things and go through a couple of things, but I think what will happen is, as God matures your faith and your ability to receive grace, if you're maturing, as I hope that this church is, based on its pastor, its leadership, and its message, then this kind of love will be continually growing. And when I come back next year, you're going to really love me. <laughs> I've always felt love here from you. So let's talk, take a look, and I don't need to panic you, but there's 16 expressions of love, and I have 10 minutes, so here we go. Charity suffereth long, number one. It means that love is patient. And it doesn't mean that love is just patient. Okay, think about how patient you are. No, no, no. First of all, think about how patient God has been with you. Has, ever, has He ever dealt with you about something He wants you to do and you've just ignored it for a period of time? I see a lot of smiles and a lot of yes like that. And God didn't give up on you. God didn't quit, did He? He was right there to help and bless and strengthen and touch and do things that we didn't deserve. Love is suffereth long. It's patient. It actually indicates patient endurance under provocation. Now, I'm glad I live with a wife that never makes me mad. But I've probably made her a little... Never mind. Um... But in relationships, husband and wife, there has to be a lot of patience in the middle of a difficulty. The finances are tough. Disagreements on how to raise kids, what job to take, what's next in our lives. So patience has to be exhibited and endure through provocation. Number two, love is kind. It just simply means that God has an active goodness and it goes towards you and it expresses His interest in you first. God is kind. He expresses interest in you at all times. And so what He's asking us to do is to be kind in return to others and express an interest in others' needs, others' thoughts. Uh, do you come into a conversation waiting for your chance to reply, or do you come into a conversation ready to listen? 
Most of us just listen so that we can reply. We don't really care what they're saying. We just wish they'd shut up so we get a chance to say it. <laughs> That's not kind. We have to be thinking about the benefit of others. Here's a good one, number three. Charity envieth not. And charity, and again, charity, love, agape kind of love, God kind of love, is never jealous or envious. The two green-eyed sister monsters, envy. I see what you have and I want it. Jealousy. That's mine and I'm not sharing it. Now, God is not that way. In fact, uh, He's not envious of anything you and I have. I guarantee you that. Uh, He is the Lord of all creation. But God is jealous. He is jealous of us. The Bible even tells us that the Lord is jealous over us because He loves us. He's saying to the world, that's mine and I'm not going to share it. So there's a sense, in fact, if you're a Scrabble player, you'll love this. His name is Quana. It's Q without a U. Q-A-N-N-A. And and I don't know if you'll get away with using it, but that's one of the Hebrew names for God, Quana. And it means the Lord is jealous. But he's jealous in a good way. He's not jealous in, where you been? (laughs) Where were you? Well, I went to buy groceries, honey. Why did it take an hour and a half? Because of all the stuff you said you wanted and I couldn't find it. Envy. A position in the church. Why does she get to sing? Why does he get to preach? Why does he get to run the soundboard? Why don't I get called up to be seen in front of everybody? We're envious. We desire what other people have. Somebody rolls up in a brand new truck, got everything you'd ever need to do work with. They come in smiling and happy, said, man, I just got this truck given to me. And you think, I'd like to have the keys and the title of that truck, and he have a feather in his britches, and we'd both be tickled. <laughs> that's envy, right? We want what somebody else has. And that's not the kind of thing that we need to be embracing. We need to be uh, uh, very glad that someone else is either honored or exalted. So we're pleased, not envious. Number four, charity vaunteth not itself. Love does not boast. It doesn't focus on itself. It does not brag. It is, this is the act of verbalizing the greatness of self. I, have you ever been around people that just talk about how great they are and how wonderful they are and what they, doesn't it drive you crazy? Have you ever taped yourself? How much of our conversation is really just about me? True love and exhibited in the heart doesn't boast about itself. True love is not, number five, puffed up. It's not proud. It's not arrogant. It's, that's the internal attitude. We have to watch ourselves. I think one of the saddest things that I've seen in the results of The message of the cross is people who get it and then act like they're better than everybody else. Pentecost has done that for a long time. We've, we speak in other tongues. We have the gifts. We have the, so we're better than everybody else. Doesn't do a thing for anybody that gets to know you. In fact, it's a turnoff. It makes people run the other way. People don't want to be around that attitude. And we must not exhibit it. If we have truth, we need to make it cause us to love one another more than we ever have been before. So we're not puffed up. 
uh, does not behave itself unseemly. This simply means that it doesn't dishonor other people. It's not rude. It doesn't act unbecomely. It means to be considerate and courteous. Uh, and so uh, it does not behave itself unseemly. Number seven, seeks not her own. Love is not self-seeking. It does not, okay, look out, here we come. Here, here we, here, here. does not insist on having its way. I'll have you know. No, love doesn't insist that I'm my way or the highway. It's interested in what will assist others. That's the kind of love God has for me. It's not, (laughs) oh boy, it's not easily provoked. What does it take to light your fire, float your boat, melt your butter? What gets you rolling when your wife goes, when you say something important? When somebody acts indifferent to the thing that you are passionate about. How do you think God feels when being so passionate about sending His Son, He allowed Him to be killed and people only know how to use His name in vain and know nothing about what He's done? But yet God is not easily provoked and continues to send His love and encouragement and opportunity for people to be saved around the world. Now, there will come an hour and there will come a day where that opportunity will end. So if you're here this morning, and I certainly don't mean to be boring you, but if you're here this morning and you haven't never exist, have never experienced this love of God that I'm talking about, you can have it before you leave here this morning. God is not easily provoked, and we must not be easily angered or irritable. Whoops. (laughs) That's all I'm going to say about that. Yeah. Because if, you know, we were going to church on a Wednesday night, and I'm irritated about something. I don't remember even what, you know, how important it was. And she said something to me in the car. Just, we're going to church, going to family worship center. And she says something to me in the car, and I just, just snap right back to it. She goes, well, you didn't have to snap at me. And right away, I know she's right. And right away, I know I'm wrong. But I don't just say, I don't say anything because I'm irritated. I'm, 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 I'm grumpy. I'm just not feeling good. And I knew the minute it came out of my mouth, I should have said, oh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. And so I let it go. And we get past the moment, and she's kind and, and considerate, but there's this little standoffishness now because I snapped, and I, and I shouldn't have. And we go to church, and of course, we love the Lord. We come back, get in the car, go all the way to the car, and I still don't say anything. And I get up early in the morning and go do my thing on the program and get into class, and all of a sudden I realize, you know, I really shouldn't have snapped like her. I, I just need, I need to tell her I'm sorry. So like most cowards, I text her. And I said, I'm sorry that I snapped at you 24 hours ago. And she writes back and she said, that's okay. I love turtles too. No matter how slow it was in coming, it came. But we're easily provoked at times. And and this unsettledness, if it's something consistent, needs to be changed. 
number nine, thinks no evil. This is a tough one. Because spiritual warfare around our lives cause us to look at other people and think they mean to do us wrong. The devil plants that in people's minds that, oh, they have it out for me. They're talking about me. They're, they're going to... But love says, no, I'm not going to buy into that. I'm not going to receive that. I'm not going to allow that thought to remain in my mind. Love doesn't think evil. It does not attribute, listen, bad motives to others. It does not suspect their actions. It's guileless. I need me some work up in here. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rather, number 11, it rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. This is the idea that love patiently endures the faults of others. It believes all things. It tries to put the best possible construction on the actions and events of others. Well, he didn't really mean to. She didn't really try to. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It means that there's an earnest desire that all things will work out for the best. Love endures all things. And that's specifically under persecution and ill treatment. But most important, especially a God kind of love, it never quits. Never quits. Never quits. I've got a long way to go to be equal to the nature and character of God. But every now and then I need to go over this list myself And think about the things that God has exhibited towards me and the kind of agape love, the God kind of love that he's exhibited toward me. Secondly, I need to investigate and look at myself and say, have I exhibited these toward the people that I'm closest to, then perhaps to my neighbors, and then even to strangers? Am I maturing in the message of the cross to the degree that I am allowing this kind of love to be exhibited. And if I find the areas in my life where I'm not, I do not come under condemnation, but rather I trust that grace and faith can fix me. Help me to be more patient. Help me to not respond quite so quickly. Help me to practice my shut-ups before I open my mouth and think through the situation. Sometimes we don't really think about religion affecting those kinds of things, but that's what our relationship with Christ ought to be affecting the most. And the Bible says we love him because he first loved us. Take a good look in the future as you go back over these verses or words and think about the kind of love that God is exhibiting towards you and rejoice over it. Be glad he's the kind of God that... Re- that has this kind of love for you. But always remember, I love him because he first loved me. Thank you for tuning in to Power of the Cross Radio. We hope these moments of inspiration have stirred your heart and uplifted your soul. 
Our mission is to share the timeless message of hope, love, and transformation that the cross represents. But we couldn't do this without you, our dedicated listeners. Your support breathes life into our broadcasts, enabling us to reach even more people with this powerful message. As you've experienced firsthand, the words spoken and the music played have the ability to touch lives and bring about positive change. If Power of the Cross Radio has become a source of encouragement and light for you, we kindly ask for your help in sustaining this ministry. Your contributions, whether big or small, make a significant impact in keeping this radio station on the airwaves. By partnering with us, you become part of a community that is spreading love, faith, and healing to all corners of the world. So please, consider supporting us financially, sharing about us with friends and family, and returning to listen. Let's continue this journey together, as we dive deeper into the profound message of the cross and its transformative power. Thank you for your unwavering support, and we look forward to having you right here with us again on Power of the Cross Radio. Remember, your involvement truly makes a difference. And until next time, stay blessed.